<laughs> I don't think that's how it goes. It's close like that. Uh, anybody who's ever seen Wolf of Wall Street out there, um, that is the uh, scene from Matthew McConaughey and Leonardo at the restaurant when he's getting in the zone. Um, anyway. Uh, welcome back. Another night. Quarantine. Official quarantine day number two. Here yep. in Ohio. Um, anybody didn't know this was supposed to be our vacation week, and we were going to go to Gatlinburg. Finally, he's got the time all set, and then a worldwide pandemic broke out. So, <laughs> so we're sorry, and that's the figure. last time we'll ever try to plan a trip together. Yep. <laughs> It'll just be a last second one, so that way the world can't be like, haha, gotcha. Yeah. No <sighs> Hopefully, everybody's. Uh, Quarantine is going well. If you're going mad from no sports like I am, I am watching... What, 2017? This is uh, PGA 2019 Tour. PGA Tour Golf. I've watched 18 the last couple of days just to <laughs> watch some kind of sports. You're uh, also watching a dodgeball tournament last yeah, night. Yeah, <laughs> ESPN The Ocho is a new thing. And it's <laughs> a real thing. It's, is it really ESPN <coughs> The Ocho? Like yes. in dodgeball? Yes, ESPN. Let, that, let what you just said click. Yeah, I was I watching know. Dodgeball last night on ESPN, the I old show. I didn't know that that was a thing now, but... Yeah. They've got all kinds of... Just like they said in the in the promo clip there. Squirrel racing and some <laughs> stuff like that. Okay. Um, shows to watch. We talked about that last time. We just finished... Like, right before we started recording, we just finished Tiger King. Tiger King. And holy <laughs> hell... If there was going to be a show to come out during a, a time like this oh my in gosh. the world, it's that one. If you guys haven't watched it, major spoiler alerts, Carol Baskins, is she's crazy. Yeah. She's she, a basket case. She 100% killed her husband. Yeah, for sure. Whether she buried him under the septic tank like they said or fed him to the tigers, I don't know. I think she fed him to the tigers because like Joe Exotic said... The tiger's stomach is full of acid. It would so acidic that it dissolved the bones and everything. Bones. Yeah, that's. I don't know. Joe Exotic is a is a character in and on himself, but. Well, and then there's Doc. He's yeah. he's a character too, yeah. and he's running a cult there. Yep. So, uh, please don't come after us, Doc. Just our opinions. It's yeah. it's it's. It grabs you from the very beginning, and it doesn't stop. It's a In the weirdest bit. way. Like, the show is so weird. The, the turns the turns aren't what you'd expect, and they, they just keep coming. Um, yeah. A couple sad moments in there. I don't really get into that on this podcast, but... Yeah, there are some sad moments. A couple moments. of sad, just crazy, shocking moments. And what's crazy is it plays out like it's fake, but you see real interactions amongst real people during really serious things. Yeah. And they videotaped the whole thing. Yep. Made it for one heck of a story. So that would be the next one we recommend to go watch. Uh, if you guys have any recommendations on TV shows, we are now out, and I don't know how much uh, expired golf Abby's going to let me keep watching. Oh, I'm not out. I'm into um, Little Fires Everywhere. It's good. I'm not, I don't think you would like it. It doesn't it's, sound like it's it. It's more of a girly thing. Not really girly. 
but like a chick like kind of drama what was that british show that we watched the stranger the straw oh, yeah that was good that was good based off a book and what we've noticed recently is that so many new tv shows coming out are based off books i guess that means we should should be reading but yeah i need to get back into reading ain't nobody got time for that during quarantine you got time for everything that's true uh, got some nice weather coming. Get outside. If you've got little ones out there and need to get out of the house, we were outside for a little bit today, but tomorrow's supposed to be nice. Yeah, for sure. Get outside and get some fresh air. Uh, great time for spring cleaning, and you don't have any excuses. Yeah, how much spring cleaning have you done? Um, so today's topic is a murderer <laughs> from uh, the UK. <laughs> I've set myself up for that one. This one's just real laid back, uh, both kind of tired here, um, you know, but we promised one coming out, so we're going to do it. Uh, like I said, this is, uh, she's got the murder uh, from the UK, tonight's beer, if you saw the Instagram posts and Facebook posts, is uh, Elvis Juice from Brewdog, Brewdog. Um, their main hub is from Scotland, uh, they do have a US office based Ironically enough, in Columbus, Ohio, just like our last week's uh, topic, or the other day's topic. A um, <coughs> couple of things I always talk about. The ABV on the can, this one does have it. It is 6.5%, a big triangle on the bottom. Um, there is a date stamped on the bottom of the can. This one says 9-24-19. Uh, I'm not really sure if that's the best buy date or the brood on date. Um, I've had these in there for a little while, but beer really doesn't go bad with a little bit higher alcohol um the ibus on the bitterness on the can is um 40 so it's not a really not a really bitter beer but I'm, definitely if you're like a miller light yeah but like person you wouldn't like it no because it's definitely as definitely flavorful my brother-in-law and sister-in-law would say uh bar soap bar soap yeah they uh they're not a fans of them they've tried a couple when they just don't like it but I didn't either until uh, my first flavored beer was Guinness. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Purple Haze. No, it was Guinness and then Purple Haze. Oh, okay. At the local pub. <laughs> um, it's just it's an American IPA. Uh, we'll go ahead and crack it open. You didn't talk about what like why it's called Elvis Juice. I don't know why it's called Elvis Juice. Because it has like the banana flavor to it. So, yeah, there's hints of banana. I was going to get to the commercial description in a little bit. Oh, but sorry. Abby just wants to go ahead and uh, do my beer reviews for me now, too. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and pour it first, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. That's a cool sound. That's got to mm. sound good coming through. This is some alcohol ASMR. Eventually, so, once we get really into this, we'll get a microphone in. Yeah, so... Just pour it into a glass. Uh, it's kind of a hazy copper color. A uh, couple fingers of foam on the top. It's going away pretty quickly. Um, smells like a like a standard IPA with big hints of grapefruit. Cause I know the Elvis okay. juice and some of the other things they say talk about the banana, but right on the can it says it's a grapefruit and fruits that grapefruit infused IPA with other natural citrus flavors but it's definitely got heavy grape note heavy grapefruit up front uh, and then you can kind of smell the other citrus and that kind of pininess from the 
from the uh, IPAs, uh, let's give her a taste. Um, just like the last one, tastes like it, tastes like it smells. Um, fresh citrus, pine, uh, very floral, heavy citrus notes up front. Um, mm. The alcohol is hidden because it is six and a half percent. Not the highest out there, but a little bit higher ABV, and it's pretty well hidden. Uh, and then it closes out with that slight piney bitterness. Now Abby's trying it, and she's tried this before, and she doesn't like it. But you get the big hit of the citrus notes up front, and then when you aftertaste, aftertaste. you get that bitterness and that piney floral note. I like, I mean, I like IPAs, and I like the bitterness, but it's a different kind of bitterness on this. It's not bad. It just, I think it's, I'm not a citrus fan. And I think the citrus really hits hard. Oh, it's it's like a... Like if Starburst is the juicy candy, like they talk about, if you get a pack of soft Starburst when you first bite into it, all that juiciness, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I think about with this. Like it's very juiced fruit, you know? Yeah, it definitely has like not the bitterness of an IPA, but the bitterness of a grapefruit. Like, cause like you know what I mean? Yeah. A grape, the yeah. bitterness that hits you in the back of your mouth with a, when you eat a grapefruit. Yeah. That's, that's great. It's great. Yeah. Great one. Um, the cans just red says Elvis juice in the background it's in black it's got the brew dogs logo it's Elvis juice stamped on the front commercial description on the can says uh, naturally flavored IPA packs more fruit than it's than the skate of California a zest zenith on the nose fruity foreplay gives away the truckload of grapefruit and orange in the interstate pile up of citrus a frenzied fruit cocktail of flavor builds to a crescendo and a bitter finale leaves you screaming for more Elvis juice the absolute king of the world of wannabes so uh, for me this is one of my favorite IPAs um, I, I give this an 8 out of 10 great intro into IPAs too and some other flavors um, it's not too bitter it's, it's kind of a natural bitterness like Abby said from the grapefruit um, very juicy fruit flavors are high uh, it's great for uh great for the summer and easy drinking you could definitely drink a bunch of them um without getting tired of them Uh, and it's kind of the beer that helped get me back into craft beer so eight out of ten for me uh we'll keep drinking and abby's gonna take us on a murder mystery tour from somewhere in the uk yep we're in the uk tonight um it's actually another case about a doctor just a little reverse this time um, <clears throat> so his name was Dr. Harold Frederick Shipman, and that's really hard to say. Shipman? Shipman, but Frederick Shipman is really hard to say. Frederick Shipman. Yeah. I thought you said I Shipman. kept practicing it earlier. I was nervous. <laughs> okay. Harold Frederick Shipman, known as Fred, was born in Nottingham, England, the second of four children of Vera and Harold Shipman. He was a truck driver. It actually said he was a lorry driver, but... I changed that because... It's the UK. Yeah, exactly. Um, So wait, he was a truck driver? His father was. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, His working class parents were devout Methodists. Fred was the favorite child of his mother, Vera. She made him think that he was better than everyone else, which caused most of his future relationships and friendships to fail. Um, It made him a loner, and Vera decided who Harold could play with and when she wanted to distinguish him from the other boys. 
Um, he was the one who always wore a tie when the others were allowed to casual dress. His sister Pauline was seven years old. His brother Clive, four years his junior. I don't understand that. Like, they, they say that over here too, like, yeah. He was 12 years his senior. Yeah. Can you just say he was 12 years older? Mm hmm. Uh, but in his mother's eyes, Harold was the one she held the most hope for. When his mother was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer, he watched her as she declined. Fascinated by the positive effect that the administration of morphine had on her suffering, she eventually succumbed to the disease on the 21st of June, 1963. Devastated by her death, he was determined to go to medical school, and he was admitted to Leeds University Medical School for training two years later. Um, so far, let's keep interrupting you, but I mean, so far, you had the whole nature versus nurture thing in the beginning, you know, what she did. But it seems like he got into medicine for the right reason. Yeah, yeah. You know, he just, he wanted to be there to... So, he, I forgot to mention, so he got into med medical school. Um, he had to apply twice because the first time he failed trying to get in. Um, yeah, two years after his mother died, um, getting in had been a struggle, which is what I just touched over. Um... Uh, some who do remember claim that this is talking about his classmates and how they saw him. Um, some who do remember him claim that um, he looked down on them and seemed amused by the way most young men behaved. It was as if he tolerated us. If someone told a joke, he would smile patiently, but Fred never wanted to join in. It seemed funny because I later heard he'd been a good athlete, so you'd have thought he'd been more of a team player. <clears throat> um, most of his friends, especially from his early years, simply remember him as a loner, not his friends, but his peers, as a loner. Um, they also remember the one place where, he where his personality changed the football field. Here, his aggression was unleashed, his dedication to win intense. Even so, he was more sociable in medical school than his mother had allowed him to be while living at home. And we got to remember, is it football or football? Football. Like soccer? No, football. Are you sure? I don't know. Because it's know. UK, so foot, Yeah, I didn't even think foot, about that. Foot, it's probably pronounced football. <laughs> um, a former teacher said, I don't think he ever had a girlfriend. In fact, he took his older sister to school dances. They made a strange couple, but then he was a bit strange, a pretentious lad. I love the way they talk. I know. But Shipman finally um, found companionship in a girl he married before most of his friends did. At 19, he met Primrose. Um, she was three years younger than him. Her background was similar to Fred's. Her mother restricted her friendships and controlled her activities. Uh, no poster girl, Primrose was delighted to have finally found a boyfriend. Uh, Shipman and her got married when she was 17 and she was five months pregnant. So she was 17 and he was 22. Not a huge age difference, but nonetheless, she's in high school and he's in college. Yeah, well, age difference won't change ever, but the right. age at which they met, yeah. Yeah. By 1974, he was a father of two and enjoyed medical practice in the Yorkshire town of Todd Morden. Sorry, I'm probably butchered that, but um, in his North England setting, Fred seemed to undergo a metamorphosis. 
He began and he became an outgoing, respected member of the community in the eyes of his fellow medics and patients. But the staff in the medical offices where he worked saw a different side of the young practitioner. Um, he was often unnecessarily rude and made some of made some of them feel stupid, a word he frequently used to describe anyone he didn't like. He was confrontational and combative with many people to the point where he belittled and embarrassed them. He also had a way of getting things done his way, even with more experienced doctors in the practice. <clears throat> Not yet 30, Shipman had become, become a control freak. Um, he initially thrived as a family practitioner before allegedly becoming addicted to the painkiller pethidine. Um, he forged prescriptions for large amounts of the drug, and he was forced to leave the practice when caught by his medical colleagues in 1975 at which time he entered a drug rehab program. In the subsequent inquiry, he received a small fine and a conviction for forgery. Um, he eventually was fined for his charges, 600 pounds, and was back in business two years later. I wonder what the, what the conversion rate is. Um, I meant to look that up, but I didn't, so I don't know. So, this um, is also way back when, so 600. It wasn't that long ago, 1975. But, Inflation. I mean, what's 600 pounds versus what it is today? It's probably like $2 million. Probably. I was going to say 50, but yeah. Yeah, I just made that up. Um, he was accepted on the staff two years later at Donnybrook Medical Center in Hyde, where he um, integrated himself as a hardworking doctor who enjoyed the trust of patients and colleagues alike. Although he had a reputation for arrogance uh, amongst the junior staff, he remained on staff there for almost two decades, and his behavior incurred only minor... Um, interest from other health care professionals. Um, one of his co-workers um, noticed that he, all of his patients seemed to be dying at an unusually high rate. Um, and they exhibited similar poses in death. Most were fully clothed and usually sitting up or reclining in a chair. Um, he was concerned, his colleague was concerned enough to um, approached Dr. Shipman about it directly and Shipman reassured him that there was nothing to be concerned about um, you know all is well like any murderer would do well, he's not going to say yeah that guy, I killed that guy 30 minutes ago right, right. <laughs> um, so then eventually another colleague was like hey this isn't right you know said the same exact stuff um, her name was Dr. Susan Booth and um she actually alerted the coroner's office, um, who in turn contacted the police. Um, a co covert investigation followed, but Shipman was cleared, as it appeared that his records were in order. The inquiry failed to contact the General Medical Council or check criminal records, which would have yielded evidence that Shipman's previous record. Uh, later, a more thorough investigation revealed that Shipman altered the medical records of his patient to collaborate with their causes of death. Um, hiding behind his status of a caring family doctor, it is almost impossible to establish exactly when Shipman began killing his patients or indeed exactly how many died at his hand and his denial of all charges did nothing to assist the authorities. Indeed, his killing spree was only brought to an end thanks to the determination of Angela Woodruff, the daughter of one of the victims, who refused to accept the explanation given for her mother's death. Uh, now we'll get into Angela's mother's death. <clears throat> K. 
Kathleen Grundy, an active, wealthy, 81-year-old woman, was found dead in her home on the 24th of June, 1998, following an earlier visit by Shipman. Woodruff was advised by Shipman that an autopsy was not required and Kathleen Grundy was buried in accordance with her daughter's wishes. <clears throat> Woodruff, was, Woodruff was a solicitor and had always handled her mother's affairs, so it was with some surprise that she discovered that another will existed, leaving the bulk of her mother's estate to Dr. Shipman. What? <laughs> right? So, like, why would you think that you would get away with that? You just... <clears throat> So Woodruff he's a dumb doctor. was Yeah. Um, Woodruff was convinced that the document was a forgery and that Shipman had murdered her mother. Uh, forging the will to benefit from her death, she alerted the local police where Detective Superintendent Bernard Postles quickly came to the same conclusion on examination of evidence. Kathleen Grundy's body was ex- exhumed and post-mortem revealed that she had died of a morphine overdose administered within three hours of her death, precisely within the time frame of Shipman's visit to her. Shipman's home was raided, yielding medical records, an odd collection of jewelry, and an old typewriter, which proved to be the instrument upon which Grundy's forged will had been yep, produced. Do it. it was immediately apparent to the police from the medical records seized that the case would extend further than the single death in question and priority was given to those deaths it would be most productive to investigate, namely victims who had not been cremated and who had died following a home visit by Shipman, which were given priority. Shipman had urged families to cremate their relatives in a large number of cases, stressing that no further investigation of their deaths was necessary, even in instances where these relatives had died of causes previously unknown to the families. Isn't that crazy? So he would convince these families to just cremate their... Just, yeah, just... God, what a... Which is a, you would think is a red flag right there. Jeez. Holy cow. In situations where they did raise questions, Shipman would provide um, computerized medical notes that collaborated his cause, his cause of death um, pronouncements. Um, police later established that Shipman would, in most cases, alter these medical notes directly after killing the patient to ensure that his account matched the historical records. What Shipman had failed to grasp was that each alteration of the records would be stamped by the computer, enabling police to ascertain exactly which record had been altered. Um, following extensive investigations, which included numerous exhumations and autopsies, the police charged shipment with 15 individual accounts of murder on the 7th of Holy September 1998 as well as one count of forgery which means you know that there's more oh for sure and yeah they we'll get into that um police later established that shipment would in most cases alter these metal oh I already read that <laughs> sorry um I lost my place he was known as had a couple nicknames. Yeah, he was uh, Doctor Death <coughs> and the Angel, Angel of Death. Death. Yeah, which yeah. names I've heard mm-hmm. before. Me too. Um, Shipman was tried in three separate phases: um, cases with physical evidence, cases without the Grundy case, and as well as the damning evidence relating to Shipman's fraudulent accumulation of the morphine and other drugs. Um, the trial proceeded. On the 16 charges included in the indictment, the prosecution asserted that Shipman had killed the 15 patients. Um, we'll get into the 15 patients, and I'll give a little backstory on each of them. 
after this, um, 15 patients because he enjoyed exercising control over life and death and dismissed any claims that he had been acting compassionately as none of the victims were suffering terminal illnesses. Um, his victims were all female and they were all elderly and majority of them lived alone, didn't have much family. Um, easy, not easy victims, but they were easy right, victims. Right. Um, Oh, Woodruff appeared as the first witness against him. Um, her forthright manner and account of her um, unremitting determination to get the truth impressed the jury and attempts by Shipman's defense to undermine her were largely unsuccessful. Um, next, the government pathologist led the court through the gruesome post-mortem findings where morphine toxicity was a cause of death in most instances. Thereafter, fingerprint analysis of the forged will showed that Grundy had never handled the will and her signature was dismissed by a handwriting expert as a crude forgery. A police computer analyst then testified how Shipman had altered the computer records to create symptoms um, that his dead patients never had, in most cases within hours of their deaths. Wow. Yeah. <coughs> as the trial progressed onto the victims and the accounts of their relatives, the pattern of Shipman's behavior became much clearer. A lack of compassion, disregard for the wishes, of attending relatives and reluctance to attempt to re revive the patients were bad enough, but another fraud also came to light. He would pretend to call the emergency services in the presence of relatives, then cancel the call, the call out when the patient was discovered to be dead. Telephone records showed that no actual calls were ever made. So he pretended to call mm -hmm. and then... In front of the families. Wow. Yeah. That's like my <clears throat> word of the day with this guy. I mean... You hate to give him, not credit, but I mean, he thought everything through. Obviously, he got caught, cause mm -hmm. he, but he thought everything through. He just... Scary. Yes. <clears throat> Finally, evidence of his drug hoarding was introduced with false prescribing to patients who didn't require morphine over-prescribing to others who did, as well as proof of his visits to homes of the recently deceased to collect up unused drug supplies for quote-unquote disposal. Shipman's haughty demeanor throughout the trial did nothing to assist his defense in painting the picture of a dedicated healthcare professional. Despite their attempts, his arrogance and constantly changing stories uh, when caught out in obvious lies did nothing to endear him to the jury. So the jury was like, yeah, you're messed up. <clears throat> right. And for what it sounds like a douche, and... You're guilty. Yeah. Um... Following a meticulous summation by the judge and a caution to the jury that no one had actually witnessed Shipman kill any of his patients, the jury were sufficiently convinced by the testimony and evidence presented and unanimously, unanimously found Shipman guilty on all charges, 15 counts of murder and one of forgery on the afternoon of January 31st, 2000. The judge passed 15 life sentences <clears throat> as well as a four-year sentence for forgery, which he commuted for a whole life sentence effectively removing any possibility of parole. Um, Shipman was incarcerated at Durham Prison. A clinical audit conducted by the Professor Richard Baker of the University of Leicester examined the number and pattern of deaths in Shipman's practice and compared them with those of the practitioner. It found the rates of the death <coughs> amongst his elderly patients were significantly higher, clustered at certain times of the day, 
and that Shipman was in attendance in a disproportionately high number of the cases. The audit goes on to estimate that he may have been responsible for the deaths of at least 236 patients over a 24-year period. She, I was going to say there's more than 15. Like I already said it. Yeah. Um, the commission further speculated that Shipman might have been addicted to killing and was critical of police investigations procedures, claiming that the lack of experience of the investigating officers resulted in missed opportunities to bring Shipman to justice earlier. So they're talking about way back when, when he first got charged and (coughs) the first time his colleague brought it to their attention, you know, who knows how long that time frame was in between. Um, He may in fact have taken his first victim within months of obtaining his license to practice medicine. 67 year old Margaret Thompson, who died on in March, 1971 while recovering from a stroke, the deaths prior to 1975 were never officially proven. On January 13, 2004, Shipman was discovered hanging in his prison cell at Wakefield, having used bed sheets to tie tie to the window bars of his cell. So he killed himself because that's just what all the worst ones do. Crazy. Now I'm going to talk about the 15 victims because it broke my heart reading about them. Um, as you can see, they're all elderly females and if you like i was just over here looking him up while you were talking and if this guy came into your house to take care of your grandma you wouldn't think anything of no he looks like a caring like somebody's grandfather like he is so and that's what they i mean right you've obviously got the stereotypical look but for some of them but this guy was one who just blended in and he probably spoke soft, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you just, you would have never, never thunk it. Thunk, thunk's a word. You never thunk it. Thought it. Um, so the first victim was Marie West. Um, Harold Shipman murdered Marie West, 81, um, at her home on March 6, 1995, unaware that her friend was in the next room. Marion Hadfield was waiting um, in Marie's kitchen while Dr. Shipman in- injects, injected her with diamorphine. <clears throat> Shipman later claimed that Mrs. West had died of a massive stroke. Police found her medical records at the doctor's home. The next one was Irene Turner. She was 67. Um, she had a complicated medical history and had recently returned from a holiday with a cold when she had visited the home of Shipman on when she was visited at her home by Shipman on July 11th, 1996. The doctor killed her with morphine injections as she uh, lay dying. Shipman asked her neighbor Sheila Ward to pack clothes for Mrs. Turner. She needed to go to the hospital. Shipman later claimed that Mrs. Turner, Turner died from diabetes. After exhumation, um, Mrs. Turner's body was found to contain morphine. And the next one was Lizzie Adams. Um, she doesn't say how old she Oh, 77 years old. Um, Shipman claimed he had phoned an ambulance for Lizzie when she was discovered in her home on February 28, 1997 by one of her friends. He then pretended to cancel it when it was clear the 77-year-old dancing teacher was dead. Phone records show no such calls were made. Um, Dr. Shipman said that she died from pneumonia. Um, Her medical records were found in a carrier bag in his garage. (coughs) Um, Jean Lilly... She was 59. 
so the youngest that we've seen so far. Um, he was called to her home on April 25th, 1997. A neighbor saw him leave and went to see her friend, but found her dead. Um, he said that she died of heart failure, but a pathologist found no evidence of severe heart problems and found the cause of death to be morphine poisoning. Ivy Thomas, um, 63, he killed her at his surgery on May 29th, 1997. Um, he then carried on seeing other patients before telling anyone that she had died. He also altered her medical records two days later. Um, he told police <clears throat> in his receptionist conflicting stories about how she had died. The court heard how the general practitioner had considered um, Ivy a nuisance because she was such a regular attender at the surgery. Um, he joked about having to sign over seats in the waiting room saying reserved for Ivy Lomas. Okay, so you kind of get the pattern of, you know, how he killed his patients. They were all um, killed by morphine overdoses, essentially, and he faked them. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and just say the name and age of all of them because... I mean, it's brutal hearing everything that he did to each one of these people. Um, so then next there was Muriel Grimeshaw. Um, she was 76. Um, Marie Quinn, who was um, 84. Kathleen, also known as Laura Wagstaff. Um, she was 81. Bianca Pomfret, she was 54, so that is the youngest now that I think that we've seen so far. Uh, Nora Nuttall, um, she was 82. Um, Pamela Hiller, she was 68. Uh, Maureen Ward, she was 57. Uh, Winifred Meller, she was 73. Uh, Joan Melia, she was 73, and then Kathleen Grundy, um, who was the person that we talked about, um, and her daughter was the one to say, you know, this isn't right. Right, something's going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, and she was 81, I believe, is what I said, but yeah, it's sad. All these elderly women. They're just all, like I said, they, he... Obviously, he was a monster and a predator, but he went after not easy targets, but he also made sure that he just thought it all through, which is he did, so scary. But they also talk about how, you know, he clearly didn't know how computers work because he True. didn't know that they could trace it back to him changing the documents um, or even thinking about exhuming the bodies well I guess he did think about that with how he was he convinced a lot of people to cremate their I'm sorry but if uh, I don't want a victim blame and I'm not trying to but if a doctor were to be like you should cremate them I'd be like hmm as a matter of fact let's get an autopsy done because, well, that's because something's not right here that's because of your extensive obsession with murder yeah true right yeah. This would be this is what you this is what you do. You do murder. Murder study. You don't do murder. <laughs> yeah, I don't do murder. That's the second time in two days I've accused you of being a murderer. Yep. 
but uh, like I guess this was uh, kind of a, a sad one. They're all sad, but you know, somebody preying on the elderly, especially a doctor, like someone that you trust. Yes, and that's what's so scary about it is you, you have all this trust and faith in the doctor that they're going to do right, and that's probably why you know a lot of people probably did listen to him. When he said yeah. to go ahead and cremate and stuff, then they were probably like, you know, well, he's a doctor, so he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, <coughs> it's just sad, so. A lot of my information came from Murderpedia, Wikipedia, and um, a biography on Murderpedia, but <laughs> it takes you to a separate link. Um, I don't know what I would do. Without Murderpedia. Nope. And if you didn't know it was out there, it's out there. Um, Murderpedia and Wikipedia both um, solely thrive off of donations. They're nonprofits. I don't know if people knew that, but. I didn't. I thought. Um, without donations, they can't give us all the information that they do. So, you ever think about it when you're on Wikipedia or, or Murderpedia? Um, Make a donation, whether it's two dollars or it's not a plug, I promise, but <laughs> definitely not. It's for sure helpful with giving you information. I mean, I know when I was in school, that's the only place I got my information was Wikipedia. The uh, we're gonna try to bust out, I think, one our goal for quarantine and, and probably going forward is gonna be uh, to release one every other day. Um, this one was kind of last minute, um, so we'll have uh, plenty of forewarning on the next beer, give you guys the next location, um, and drink along, and again, comment wherever you can comment on, message us on the Instagram or whatever it is, and let us know uh, if there's a certain case, a certain beer, a certain state, um, you know. We'll obviously make that the top priority. And uh, we are going to uh, sign off for now until, what's today? Today's Wednesday. We'll see everybody Friday. Friday. Yep. And try to make it. Uh, we'll come back to the States for that one. Yeah. Yep. That one was just. Give us suggestions too. Let us know what you want to hear. Um, if you have a brewery that you want i'm not sure how we're gonna get the beer but yeah you can send it to us if you start <laughs> listening far far away um you can send it to us and we'll drink it review it and go from there yep we're signing off till friday bye